You're listening to New Hope's Sermon of the Week. We hope you're encouraged and strengthened as you listen to this week's message. Happy Thanksgiving. This is our Thanksgiving week coming up, and we have so much to be thankful for. We really do. We had a wonderful time last night, and again, thanks for all those who served. One of my old times, you know, we, you know, this new little language that we use, old school, new school, old school, what's current, what's fresh, what's hip, you know, you got old school. You know, sometimes I like old school. So there's a song we used to sing, and if you're a guest or you're new, maybe in several years, but it's, it's pretty classic, really. Now remember, this is not America's Got Talent. This is not, this is not the X Factor. This is not American Idol. And it's definitely not the gong show. Now, Deb, I, I had that in my mind, Deb. No, no hooks are coming. And uh, if you find, yeah, no, I, I won't go there. I won't go there. It was good. Let's leave it at that. But as, as I was just preparing for, for today and just really just enjoying God and my everyday life, I kept singing this song over and over. It just comes to you, and it's so simple. It's so simple. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks for he has given Jesus Christ, his son. Give thanks. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks for he has given Jesus Christ, his son. We're not going high. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what? The Lord has done for us. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what? The Lord has done for us. Give thanks. Give thanks. Oh, Jesus, we just are reminded this morning of the simplicity of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we give thanks with a grateful heart to you this morning. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. 
And Father, we ask even this morning that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you'd want to speak to us. Holy Spirit, in this area of knowing you more and loving you and being in Christ. In Jesus' name. Isn't that a beautiful song? So simple, so powerful. Wanda and I were talking recently and what we've discovered is that if you want to get a PhD in the kingdom of God or you want to have a master's degree in the, ma- in the kingdom of God and let's, let's, let's be careful the language we, you, we use. What does that mean to be in the kingdom of God? That means you have to be born again. You have to be born again. Nicodemus, well, Jesus you're the greatest teacher. You, you tell me I need to be born again. Do I need to, I can't go up into my mother's womb and be born again. It's being born of the Spirit of God. Being born again, once I was lost and now I am found, I did not understand who Jesus was. I did not understand why he came. And I had an experience with Jesus. And I received him into my life. And I was born again. I was quickened. I was dead in my trespasses or my sins. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians. You were dead and then you became alive in a moment. In a moment, in a quickening of a moment. You were dead and you became alive. We were dead and he made us alive because of what the Lord has done for us. So so if you want a, a PhD or a master's in the things of the kingdom of God because it says in Matthew that unless you become like a little child, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. You cannot receive the kingdom of God unless you become like a little child. By faith, you say, Jesus Christ is Lord. You bow your knee to Jesus and you say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And you're born again. And I'm just so reminded, I love asking people, what was your born-again experience like? Because if they can't remember it, in my heart I'm saying, oh God, they need an encounter so they can remember. They, you have to have a testimony. This is my story. There will be many storms, there will be many mountains, there will be many challenges, there will be many things on the road, but no one can ever steal your testimony. Once I was lost, I was not serving Jesus. I didn't really pay attention to Jesus. I, didn't, I had never received him by faith like a child. And then in a moment, I received Christ, and I knew he was alive in me. I could feel him alive in me. I was dead, and he made me alive. That's your born-again experience. We need to know when we were born again. Because how can you give thanks with a grateful heart? How can you say I was poor and now I'm rich, I was weak, and now I'm strong without knowing that experience you had with Jesus Christ, so personal, so real? I know that's for, I just know that's important to somebody today. So Juan and I had this conversation about being master, having a master's degree in this thing we call living in the kingdom of God, that Jesus, and here's some beautiful scripture. It says that Jesus, we were, we were in bondage, we were, 
had our chains locked. We were in the domain of darkness and we were captives and he delivered us, he freed us, he transferred us and he placed us in a different, now we're in the kingdom of God. So the picture is there an amazing transformation from here to here. A way of thinking, a way of living. He did it all, he accomplished it all, he revealed it to you. And you received it, you have a choice. And this is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom that's at hand. He's alive in us. It says he lives in us. The Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in believers. It says the kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. Jesus Christ, the king of glory, came. So we could say the kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. And if you want to have a master's degree in the kingdom of God, master the basics. The basics. The last time I spoke, I was amazed at what Jesus said to his disciples because they were, kind of, they were talking amongst themselves and the conversation went, well, who would be the greatest? And Jesus breaks everything and he, he redefines. He redefines what greatness is in a moment. And he says, you want to be great? He calls up a child and says, child, come and sit on my lap. He says, become like a little child. Humble yourself. You want to be the greatest? Be the greatest servant. Be the greatest lover. Master the basics. It's really interesting because if you look at the bulletin, I have a scripture from 2 Corinthians 11.3. It's right under my name there. And I want to go there real quick because I want to lay a little foundation but I want you to know this is the heart of what I, what I want to, the concern I have. So the scripture is full of concerns. They can be cautions, they can be warnings. If you like pictures, you know we're on a journey and there's a, there's a path and there's little blinking lights like the little construction zones, some little things, little tripod things with the lights and be, beware, be careful here, pay attention, caution. It's a warning, it's a concern. It's coming from Paul the Apostle to the church of Corinth, and he has such a passion for these people. One of the pictures he paints in two verses before what I'm going to read, he says, I have such a burning fire in my belly for you. He's got a passion for the people of God, and he says, because my desire is to present you as a bride, like a virgin to your husband. So he wants them to be pure, and what he's saying to them is in verse three, 2 Corinthians 11, verse three, it says, but I fear, but I'm afraid of, I'm a, I, I'm a, I have a concern, I have a fearful thought that lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve, deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be cor- corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ from the simplicity that is in Christ. If you like being a know-it-all and an expert and a master's degree and you like being somebody or trying to be somebody, you want to break it down? You realize Jesus is saying, be like a child? Because I know the root of that is you're looking for your own significance, you're looking for your own value, you're looking for your own superiority, and you're trying to raise yourself above others when the true servant keeps it really simple. So the heart of Paul here is that I fear lest 
lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. The other way that Paul was saying that is in a different translation. He says that your minds will be led astray. That your minds would be led astray. You know, the battle's in the mind. Our intellect, our intelligence, our mind. That your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The serpent used trickery. He used, it was very subtle. Verse four, for if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit that, we, that you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, so I want to I keep that right there for a minute because I want you to know we're going to come back there. But as I'm talking, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me this morning, if you're bored of my message this morning, now check this out. This is kind of intense, right? I mean, look at everybody. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> You know, would, would you get up on the wrong side of bed this morning? No, if you're bored with this message, then man, I'm afraid for you. That's what I'm saying to you. I'm saying to you, if you're bored with what I have to say, or it doesn't ignite your heart, man, I'm afraid for you. Because somehow I think the serpent, the crafty one, the little trickery one, he's very subtle, somehow he's convinced you that the elementary things of the gospel, the basic things of the gospel, the most powerful things of the good news. The gospel means the good news of Jesus Christ. Somehow it has to be greater or more significant. And the spirit of God has been speaking to Juan and I is you want to be great, serve. You want to be profound, be simple. You can't speak the gospel to a five-year-old, to a 10-year-old. You've complicated it. It's not complicated. I'm going to go back there, okay? Fast forward. So I, I wanted to lay that out there a little bit because what, I sh- what I'm sharing is I wanted to ignite you. So have a master's degree in giving thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks that he's given us Jesus Christ, his Son. Give thanks that we could be weak and now we're strong, we were poor and now we're rich because of what the Lord has done. Because of what the Lord has done. I'm around a lot of people, I see a lot of things, I read a lot of things, and more and more the Lord is saying, Ralph, it's so simple. I've done everything. Everything. I did it all. So what are we giving thanks for? We're giving thanks that he saved us. I'm very aware now that when I even, see, I have to learn the language that I use. Well, he saved us. Well, I don't know what that means, Pastor Ralph. Well, in the Bible, it talks about a fall. It talks about a situation that happened where Adam and Eve were deceived. They had everything they needed. Eve was already created in the image of God. She was already like God. 
And a subtle little serpent said, wouldn't you like to be like God? He lied to her of the thing she already was. And they sinned, and that was the fall in the garden. From there, we've had nothing but problems. The fall of mankind, sin entered the human race. That is a biblical principle. It's truth. And now, from that point on, God never let up on us because what the plan was, he was going to send his son to restore all that was lost in the garden. So you guys ever stop and think about it that you did not, I mean, how many of you went looking for Jesus? He found you where you were at. He came and searched you out and he said, I'm going to reveal myself to you. And he rescued us. He saved us. We were lost and we were dying. This is amazing. This is, this is master's PhD stuff. He rescued you. You were dying in a house fire. He ran in and he rescued you. And then, and then the, the, the bad news was he died in the fire and rescued you. And he saved us and he rescued us and we were dead in our sins. We were unable to pay a debt. It was impossible. We had a debt that we could not pay. It was called sin. We were guilty and Jesus Christ paid for it. And he came and took our place. He saved us, he healed us, and he delivered us. When I do this little stuff, I go, well, that's something to be thankful for. <laughs> I got all through my little notes. That's something to be thankful for. Be thankful. If you don't have enough to be thankful, be thankful for that. He set us free. What does it mean to be set free? You were a prisoner, you were in bondage, you were a slave. There were things controlling you. There were, you were helpless. And he came and he took the keys and he said, I'm gonna set you free because I came and laid down my life and my blood was shed on that cross and I went down into hell and I took the keys from the devil and I bought back, I purchased, I won. All that was lost, I have now restored. I am the king of glory. And that's what he did. And he said, now you will be set free You'll be forgiven of all your sin and all your past is washed away. By the shedding of my blood, Jesus would say to you, by the shedding of my blood on that cross, I defeated and I conquered sin and death forever. Ever. Done. That's good. That's good. That's good news. That's something to be happy about. That's something to be happy about. He did for us what we could never have done for ourselves. That's master's degree. You want more? Paul the Apostle was one of the smartest men who ever lived, in my opinion. He wrote most of the New Testament. He said, if you want the law, dot every I, cross every T, every tittle, he said, I did it, and I counted as rubbish compared to knowing you, Jesus. And the, your death on the cross, you went to the grave, you were buried, and you rose again from the dead. The message that compelled them is a simple message. It's so amazing because in 2 Corinthians 11, he actually says, are there superior apostles? He actually says to himself, he's not that, he doesn't really communicate that great. He's not that articulate. He realized that the power of the gospel was in the message of the cross and the resurrection. That's the power of the gospel. So Jesus made a way he did something we could never have done for ourselves. 
and he restored us back to the Father. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks that Jesus did the will of the Father, that Jesus perfectly represented the Father, and now we can live where we deserve to die. We deserve to die, and he made us alive, and he said we can live now. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Everybody likes getting way out here. Way out here. Way out here. And sometimes when I'm with people and they're talking way out there, I'm thinking, all you're doing is trying to impress yourself. That's kind of harsh, but I want you to think about it. Who are you trying to impress? Jesus Christ, he died and he rose again from the dead. The power of the gospel, the thing that saved us, healed us, delivered us, gave us access to heaven, is a simple message. Jesus made it possible that we could have a friendship with God. He made it possible we could have a friendship, that we could be friends of God, we have a relationship with God because of Jesus. It's a perfect relationship. It's an all-access pass. It's a VIP pass. You have complete access to the Father. If you like, Juan and I had a neat experience several years ago. We got to be behind the scenes, NBA game, professional athletes. We sat where the wives and the players sit. It was VIP, special access, security guards. We got to go through. It was awesome. We had a VIP pass on. We had an all-access pass. That's what Jesus did with your relationship with God the Father. So don't try to impress anybody. You didn't do anything. You, you didn't do anything. Don't, don't try to impress anybody. Don't try to impress people who do not yet know Jesus. Because they're thinking, these guys are whatever. They're superior. They're a swear word. You know, that's what they are. They're swear words. You know? F-bomb, a-hole, whatever. I mean, you know, let's be honest. Right? That's what they are because they think they're superior. Well, if, you act, if you're acting superior then maybe you are the swear word. <laughs> but don't be the swear word. You did nothing. That's right. That's right. I, I'll show you what you did in a minute, but you did nothing. You deserved nothing, and you got everything. <laughs> and you have a perfect relationship with God the Father, perfect access, perfect communion, and a perfect union with God the Father. Like, oh my goodness, Wow. And every now and then I get crazy. I did this with Wanda. See all that yellow highlighting? Well, the yellows. The yellow's on the bottom. The yellow's on the bottom, and it's real big. Oh, what joy. Oh, what bliss. Unspeakable, crazy happiness. That's what that says. Oh, what joy. Oh, what bliss. Unspeakable, crazy happiness. This is what Jesus did for us. PhD, master's degree stuff. You want to be great, serve. You want to act like you know something? Jesus Christ did it all for you. And here's the scripture that we have to respond to. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12. Because he came to his own, and it says they did not receive him. They did not receive him. The word receive is a pretty powerful word. I couldn't break it all down, but it was pretty powerful. 
to them that receive him. But he says in verse 12, but as many as receive him. Have you received him? See, that's the question. Have you received him? Because if you, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power or the right, the privilege, the ability, the superhuman capacity, the authority to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. To those who believe in his name. That word power, if you have different translations, it says, it says he gave the right. Uh, New King James, he gave the power, the privilege, the ability. He gave you the ability. I love this one. This is right in, this is right in the uh, study. The superhuman capacity. It's superhuman. We call it supernatural. The ability. You don't, it's not, it's not you. You can't do it apart from him. He gave it to you because when you received him, he gave you the power to do it. To become children of God. He could have put there, he could have put Beth, he could have put it, to become PhDs of God. To study the scripture and be a know-it-all for God. You became know-it-alls for God. Oh, oh, children of God. <laughs> children of God. Matthew 23. Matthew 23. The Pharisees. The religious ones. The know-it-alls. The puff up, do this, do that. And he said, man, it may, I'm, obviously I know it made him sick. Yeah. He says, you want to be great? Be a child. Be a servant. Love people. Love people. Become a child. We, we have been the privilege of becoming children of God. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When that lie comes, we're not children. Man, just take the word of God and say, we are children of God. Galatians 4, verse 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And when I say son, I mean son and daughter. No gender here. You are a daughter, you are a son, you are the children of God. And if you're a son, or if you're a daughter, then you're an heir. You're an heir of God through Christ. Oh, a whole different series of messages there. But just let me tell you what an heir has. Everything. An heir has everything the father has, and it's ours in Christ. Give thanks for that. Woo! Oh, here comes what's up with that. I can feel it. You know, it's like, woo! Give, give thanks for that. Give thanks for that. Everything that the Father has is ours in Christ. We're sons and daughters, now we're heirs. PhD stuff, PhD. You want to be a PhD? Master the basics. We are sons and daughters. Well, Ralph, you've been saying that for five years. Good. Stick around. <laughs> five years from now, I'll be saying, man, you're a son and a daughter. Because it don't get no more profound than that. It don't get no more powerful than that. You might think you're somebody, but man, you're a child of God. And when he did that for you, everything changed. 
Because you were dead and he made you alive. You were lost and he found you. You were weak and helpless and he rescued you. And it don't get no better than that. Give thanks for that. Give thanks for that. And you know what's awesome? Every, when you're an heir, everything the Father has is ours in Christ. And he holds nothing back. He holds nothing back. I was with somebody recently and they had this mindset that he holds everything. He, isn't, he doesn't give you everything. Now, I found out talking to Carl that day is that there are paradoxes. But here's what's interesting. People take a scripture like, God still likes keeping little secrets from us. Well, maybe in the Old Covenant, maybe sometimes, but guess what? It says now he reveals all them secrets to us. Right? Uh, Romans 8, 31 and 32 prove my point here because it says in Romans 8, 31 and 32, what then shall we say in these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Okay, wow. God is for us, who can be against us? Man, that, 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 that like says it all. And he did not spare his own son, but delivered him, him up. I always rush that part. I gotta put a big pause. Get too excited. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He did not withhold his son and he'll freely give us all things. I read that this morning, this morning, meditating again on this in preparation, and it hit me that God was the first southerner, see? But he delivered him up from us all. It was, it was, it was, hey, y'all. So it was, it was y'all, whatever. But it's like, that came into my mind this morning. That's how my mind, that's how my mind works. He delivered us up for us all, y'all, all, all y'all. Anyway, side note. Uh, we are sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters. Heirs. Entitled. Entitled to all the privileges of sonship and friendship. We are entitled to it. Friends of God, saved, rescued. So I meditated on that this morning. You know, we got this big thing in our country, which I, I, I don't want to get too involved with this right now, but I do not like an overall entitlement mentality. If, if you want to talk to me about that later, it means you're in, you have a mindset where you're entitled to things. You know? But let's do it in the kingdom for a minute. God is saying, I want you to have an entitlement mentality. Got it? You're entitled to this. Yes, say, when you agree with my word and say yes, you're entitled to it because I gave it to you. Don't live here when I want you to live here. Don't live like a, like a pauper when you're a royal king and priest and prince. You're entitled to everything I purchased for you. You're entitled to it. I bought it for you. I gave it to you freely. So as a son or daughter, I want you to have that type of entitlement mindset. So thankful for the complete and perfect work of sonship and friendship. We're going to receive communion this morning. When we receive communion this morning, I want us to be very aware of the celebration of communion. There are moments, and I'm not telling you how to take communion all the time, but there is something that, it is not this, 
We're receiving communion. And the sacraments is going to become this or do that. See, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not minimizing communion. You know what, man, let's party. Let's have a party. Let's break bread and celebrate what he's done. Communion is a celebratory thing because it's a new covenant. It's a new covenant. By grace, you've been saved through faith, not a work of yourself. The new covenant crushes the old covenant. It destroys it. It actually renders it useless. The old covenant was useless. Why? Do a study on it. The old covenant was the law. It was a million different things to do, and it never produced righteousness and a restored relationship with the Father. So the old covenant was there till Jesus could come and say, now I've come, and my body will be broken, my blood will be shed. This will be a new covenant. What you were unable to do in the old, I, I am now doing for you. By grace, the new covenant crushes the old covenant. It renders it useless. Like my Broncos tonight against the Patriots. <laughs> my Broncos will crush the Patriots. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. Only kidding. Sorry. I was... Right now, there's a pastor in New England doing the same exact thing. It does not count. I'm convinced God could care less who wins the football game. But the law, the old covenant, unable, impossible to achieve what Jesus did. If, again, master's degree, you don't have to study a billion covenants. The old covenant was unable, impossible to do what Jesus did. Jesus achieved it, and it was through his body and his blood being shed and his body being broken that we have this everlasting covenant. And as we celebrate Corinthians, as we celebrate communion this morning, I want to go back to 2 Corinthians 11.3. I'm just going to have a little fun with it a little bit. But oh my goodness, how I fear, how I fear that some of you might be led astray in your minds believing a lie a subtle little trickery lie that somehow what he did was not enough. And your mind's gonna be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ and the simplicity of, of your pure devotion to Christ because somehow somebody's tricked you and convinced you it was crafty, it was subtle, but something more is required of you to be holy Something more is required of you to be perfect in your relationship with God. And oh, I hate that lie, and it concerns me because it robs you, it steals from you, it destroys you, because nothing else is required. Jesus did it all. Yes. Jesus Christ the beautiful lamb of God laid down his life so we could live. The lie is that something more is required. And that little serpent who deceived Eve because she already had everything she needed, and she believed the lie. Everything was in the garden. It was perfect. And right now, as believers in Jesus Christ who've received him, Everything has been paid for. Everything is done. 